welcome to episode 127 of Retro Encounter, RPG Fans' topic-specific weekly podcast. I'm Mike Solosi, I'm your host for today, and with me are two retro regulars, starting with Peter Treisenberg. Hey, I'm, I'm a regular, even though I haven't been on the podcast for like a month or so, but uh, hi, Peter Treisenberg, the Furious Bee. You know, you say that, and it has been a uh, it has been a few months, I think. But you're still on the list of like top five, top six most regularly appearing guests. So, yeah, you're you're a regular Peter. Come on. Okay, uh, I I appreciate that, Mike. Thank you. And that one who and now uh, someone who's been as regular as a bowel movement this month, Keegan Lee. Hey, everybody! Thanks for that, Keegan. Thanks. You're welcome. That's a really sideways way to, t- to yep. insult somebody. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, Keegan has been quite busy in the month of, month of March on Retro Encounter, and I'm grateful for it, Keegan. But uh, we are here to discuss something very specific, and that is RPG adaptations. Now, two weeks ago, you may remember we had an episode about RPG spin-offs, which was, you know, point A, an RPG, point B, uh, a game that is not an RPG, but based on the materials of that RPG. So your Dissidia Final Fantasies and Theater Rhythm Final Fantasies and what have you. But... Now we're going in the other direction. Instead of things that spun off out of RPGs, we're having RPG be the second part of that equation. Basically defining an RPG adaptation as something that was not an RPG and then was adapted into a video game RPG later. So we're going to be going down a big list that we have in a Google Doc uh, and discuss in brief detail our favorite RPG adaptations, existing ones. And then at the end of the episode, similar to two weeks ago, we're each going to pitch an unmade, hypothetical, theoretical RPG adaptation. How does that sound to you guys? Sounds perfect. That sounds good to me. All right. So, uh, Keegan, take a look at that list and pick something from it and and decide where we're going to start. Let's start with what I consider one of the bigger Western RPGs coming out right now, the Witcher series. Right. Now, um, I should mention that uh, I have not played any of the Witcher except for maybe four hours of the first game and really didn't like it. But I'm aware that it is a Polish series of fantasy novels from the 90s, I guess, that have, yes. th- that are uh, that are sort of cult fan favorites. And, uh, it, I mean, it probably goes without saying, The Witcher 2 and Witcher 3 are very successful, very popular RPGs. So, Keegan, uh, tell us a little bit about your experience with The Witcher. So, um, my experience, I actually entered the series with uh, The Witcher 2, Assassins of Kings on the... So I didn't really jump in. I'd consider a good starting point. A lot of the story has already taken place there. A lot of characters have already been introduced. It's very rough for a newcomer. However, thanks to the popularity of the video game series, now over in the U.S. and I believe other um, Western countries, we now have the book series available. All of them taking place before even the first game starts. And... I would honestly consider them some of the best fantasy novels I've ever read. Hmm. All right, and but you said that uh, all of the events of those novels take place before The Witcher 1? Yes. Um, okay. So for those who did play The Witcher 1, you may remember um, Geralt talking of an event where he was killed in a town. I forget exactly which town. It's been a while since I played 1. But that killing of Geralt is actually where the book series ends. So... When Geralt comes back and everyone's like, Geralt, you remember me, right? And he's like, nope, amnesia. All of those characters have an appearance in the book. Some of them play major roles throughout the story. Oh, that's such cool. as uh, Dandelion the Bard and whatnot. I feel if you're a fan of the video games and you haven't read the books, I think it's a major opportunity for you to take. You will gain so much more insight into the story. You learn so much more about uh, 
Yennefer and Siri, like the three main players. Just read the books. I promise. I promise you, it is worth it. That sounds like a much more exciting prospect than playing The Witcher One again, because I, I, I truly did not like that thing. From, from what I understand, isn't the Witcher series by and large the video games have no involvement from the author himself? He was kind of just yes. handed a sack of cash and kind of thinks the whole thing is dumb. Because yes, the author. <laughs> <laughs> so, sorry to interrupt, but the author has stated, I believe, numerous times that he does not care for the video game series. He's not a big fan of video games in general. So, yeah, I mean, you wouldn't kill off your your main character of your series only to be like, oh yeah, and then there's this whole other series. No, no, he's totally fine. He just has amnesia. I haven't played the games myself. Um, Witcher Three has always been something of a curiosity to me because I really admire the ambition and scope of its world, and um, I'm always down for like literary fantasy. I, I've read tons of fantasy lit growing up, so this series has always intrigued me. Uh, I did read somewhere basically that you're, uh, the 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 book the third game in particular draws in a lot more from the books, doesn't it? Yes, um, specifically involving uh, the introduction of Siri, Geralt's adoptive daughter. Right, I would say the main character of the books more than Geralt, to be honest. A lot of it is her coming of age and discovering abilities, and I don't want to spoil too much, but. It's her coming of age story. Well, you already spoiled that he dies in the last one, so I think I think we've already crossed that bridge, dude. Are all the books available in English now? Um, yes, it actually took quite a while. I think we got the last book around 2016, 2017. It was a bit after The Witcher 3 released. Right, okay. So, but yeah, they um, were originally written in the early 90s, I believe, early to mid, and then we started getting the adaptions in America around the mid-2000s. That's, that's, yeah, pro- that's probably either right around when the first Witcher came out or maybe a bit before it. But I think it took until Witcher, Witcher 3 almost for it to really gain traction. Because I always remember The Witcher being this kind of like... Witcher 2, Witcher 2 was around the time a lot of people started really talking about this series in any capacity other than, well, that was a game. But I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I could just be spitballing. Well, no, I, I remember there was significant buzz around the first game, like because uh, um, people that really like, uh, you know, like like old school style um, Western RPGs really liked The Witcher. Oh yeah, and, it definitely and, would have and, had an audience. Yeah, but, and, um... and and each one definitely got better and more uh, more accessible and mainstream than the previous mm-hmm. one. With The Witcher three being one of the biggest games of its year, I guess that would have been twenty fifteen, maybe. I don't, I don't remember. No, twenty six. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter. But uh, yes, the Witcher and fantasy novels are definitely um, occult hits that I have heard good things about, and Keegan, I guess, can corroborate those uh, good reviews I've heard. But mm-hmm. let's talk about a different series of novels that got adapted into RPGs. Peter, I think you're a fan. You're a fan of these, if I know you, and I know you a little bit. So, what can you tell us about the various Lord of the Rings RPGs that we've had over the years? Oh man. <laughs> So the Lord of the Rings is being one of the most, like, probably the pinnacle of a lot of fantasy literature. It's been getting adaptations for ages. Um, right down to, I think there was a Super... Wasn't there an NES or Super NES uh, Lord of the Rings game? that was? Oh, I have no idea. Uh, yes, there was. I remember, because it involved majorly the Four Hobbits, I believe. I don't oh, yeah. think it was a very good game, but... <laughs> No, I, I just remember hearing about it a while ago. But um, around the time of the Peter Jackson films is when we got a pretty huge buff of Lord of the Rings-related media and video games included. I believe Electronic Arts had the movie license for the longest time, although um, there were a few exceptions. But um, so we so the probably the biggest example, and I think the one that we would have the most familiar with, is um, Lord of the Rings: The Third Age. 
Right. Which I, is, I am a little familiar with that one, but I haven't played it myself personally. It it is a bizarre. So so some somewhere down the line, uh, they have the the, the Lord of the Rings movies have completed their run. We Electronic Arts wants to keep making money off of this series, and they sat down and said to themselves, "What if we took Final Fantasy X and gave it a Lord of the Rings skin, and we made that with our crappy." stand-ins for each fellowship member and the most threadbare plot you could possibly imagine (laughs) short of just reading the cliff notes to the books when i was watching my friend play that at uh at my dorm room in charlottesville virginia many years ago i think the hey that's kind of like ff10 comment came out of someone's mouth 20 times it it, it really looks like it it's the same it's and, and all things considered it's the same basic system um you have a turn meter. You have the option to swap in party members. It even has the it even has the portraits of the next of the next character actions on the left side. Yeah, like it <laughs> it does it, it's 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 not even it's really not even trying. And the plot is the most threadbare. Like you are literally a group of fellowship fanboys who are following following the fellowship of the of the ring around through the movies. Telekinetically tells you the plot through clips from the movies. I didn't make a word of that up. That is what happens. Oh, and then at the end, and then at the end, you're teleported on top of um, on top of Baradur to fight the Eye of Sauron. Huh. That was the last fight. I forgot about that. <laughs> you literally get teleported from Pelennor Fields to the top of the to the top of Baradur for no reason other than it is time for this game to end. Okay. <laughs> now, I'm not sure if you've communicated this clearly to me, Peter. Is this game good? Because I, I remember my friend Byron playing it years ago, liking it. But um, he, I well, think he would, he would have played anything with Lord of the Rings on it. Like with, well, with some with some perspective, do you think this is a good RPG? Well, so well, Mike. There's a sort of thing about that question. Is FF is FF10 good? Do you like FF10? If sure, so, yeah. well, and and this thing, and Third Age has a weird amount of production design behind it because it's got Electronic Arts's money with their big movie license. It's polished. Like I don't think you're gonna like bug out of the environment. It looks authentic. It uses um, all the music is ripped straight from the Howard Shore soundtrack, and that's always good. It is bizarrely playable, even though it's kind of anathema. <laughs> like that's 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 the third age. It's 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 this weird thing that shouldn't exist but does, and we are better for it. Oh, actually, I forgot to. Me- I, I should mention this before we move on. Um, you can play as the Balrog. What? Yeah, so one of the, the there there aren't really much in the way of side quests or um or optional content in the third age. It's pretty much a straight run through the game. But one thing that there is is evil mode, and what <laughs> you can it's literally called evil mode. And as you play through the game, you'll unlock new stages for evil mode, which literally is just a series of combat challenges where they put you in control of the enemy party instead of the player party. So you'll instead of playing as the heroes, you'll play as a group of orcs um, or um, wargs or one of the bosses, including the Balrog at the end of uh, the Moria. I so. live my life on evil mode, Peter. But um, <laughs> one quick question, though. Is it, is it the American Balrog or the Japanese Balrog? Because one of them looks like Mike Tyson and the other one like has a mask and a claw and climbs up fences uh... and stuff. It's the one that looks like Jack from Final Fantasy X. <laughs> oh, so the one that uh, that the title character fights in the Song of Roland. Yes, exactly. Got it. Cool. 
that, that, that's, that's a deep cut literature joke for you oh. listeners there. Uh, all, all any remaining listeners after that awful comment. Uh, but I also think they made a terrible tactics game for the PSP, but we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> Okay, speaking of terrible tactics games for the PSP, okay, well, it works. Is that a transition? No, I don't, I don't think anything, you know, I, I may have to edit, edit this out, because I don't think that that transition fits anything we have on here. Well, okay, there was a terrible D&D uh, PSP tra- tactical RPG that one of my friends played and tried to get me to play, and I was not interested. So we're not going to talk about that. Instead, we're going to talk about Baldur's Gate. Baldur's Gate is a popular Infinity Engine game made by... Uh, uh, made by Bioware, and there's and and uh, you know a couple connected studios made different Baldur's Gate games, but both Baldur's Gate and Planescape Torment, and I think Neverwinter Nights as well, are all video game adaptations, RPG adaptations of third edition D and D stuff. Now, Keegan, you have been um, part of a D- Dungeons and Dragons Retro Encounter podcast of sorts. Uh, as as recently as last week. So, um, what's your experience with these Infinity Engine games that are mostly adapted from existing D and D properties? So, I'm also a big fan of uh, Dungeons and Dragons in real life. You know, um, I DM for a couple of games. You know, I've played in a couple, and I feel like this generation of like late '90s Western RPGs really hit the head of how D and D should feel in a video game. Oh yeah, they were they were huge back in the day when I was in middle school and early high school. I, I, I want to say that Baldur's Gate Two was the most popular one from my limited experience. That is, maybe, maybe I didn't totally have my finger on the pulse of it, but uh, a, a lot of those games are real popular. We, we, uh, as I alluded to before, we're doing Planescape Torment episodes of Retro Encounter this month. And uh, but, do you have a particular favorite among that uh, among that group? Is it is it Torment? Oh, it is definitely Torment. Something about the atmosphere of that game alone is so oppressive, yet so intriguing. Because it feels like everything in that world wants to kill you. It's not your average fantasy world. You know, there's demons you've never seen before. Just weird stuff constantly happening. It's an amazing But I think it's so good. Planescape um, came into my life at like a very low point for me. I was in college. I was having a rough time. Couldn't afford new video games. I was still running on a PS2 at the time. When I found this older PC game and played it, it like, was a nice space for me. And it'll always have a precious moment in my heart. You know, maybe one day I'll do a podcast about it. We'll see. Well, I mean, you, 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 you already have done a podcast about it in the current timeline we're living in. <laughs> Ava. Oh, yeah, that's right. I do do that. <laughs> well, so, um, but anyway, I, I think that it goes without saying... Um, well, okay, it does go with sayings. I'm going to say it. These games have not aged perfectly well. There's there's some clunkiness to that old Infinity Engine stuff. It's not the most intuitive or easy to play uh, RPG framework, but the writing is so outstanding for all of those. Like, pe- um, you hear about people talking about uh, very fondly about the um the, the the writing of the side characters of those games and uh i haven't played any of them beyond the first few hours of Baldur's Gate 2 but i'm i'm interested in it because they have such a lofty reputation and so many fans and i think you can get most of them via, either via steam or gog you should be able to find uh ports of these games that work on modern machines yeah mm-hmm. speaking of which uh keegan i was going to ask you um, yes. Do you have an do you have an opinion on the Beamdog uh, re-releases of these games? Because I know that the reception to them has been mixed. 
I haven't had a now. Okay, so I've only played the uh, Baldur's Gate and Planescape re-releases, so I don't okay. really know much about a uh, two. I don't even know if they did Icewind Dale. I know they that one did actually. Did. They did. Oh, okay. But yeah, I mean, I don't have anything opposed. Some of the old exploits are gone, which I guess is good. But it makes it harder grinding through sometimes. I feel like for a newbie, it's not an issue to play these re-releases. I feel you still get the same amount of magic and enjoyment out of them. All right. I'm just curious. But yeah, the great games. Be prepared to read a lot. <laughs> this text-heavy, cinematic low. That's what I like. <laughs> All right. We are, I mean, we have mostly been talking about book series so far in this episode, so we're just a trio of readers on this podcast. But oh, yeah. let's get away from boring books and start talking about video games, because I don't know how it happened, but we really started out in the, on the Western side of things for this episode. Uh, Peter, around a year ago, maybe a little bit less than a year ago, you were and I, you and I were on a podcast together talking all about Mario RPGs. Oh yeah, with uh, with Tucker. Indeed, we indeed. Um, yeah, Tucker was with us for that episode. But uh, so let's not maybe go into quite as much detail as we did then. But <laughs> I mean, Mario RPGs are maybe like maybe even the signature kind of subject for this topic. Uh, I mean, Mario is a very storied series of platformers and there's have been over 10 mario rpgs from 1996 to the present so they've been around for 20 years and there's a bunch of them and a bunch of them are really really good and even since that uh episode which i think recorded in april or may or posted in april and may we've had a remake of mario and luigi superstar saga which came out last fall, and they just mm-hmm. recently announced a remake of uh, Mario and Luigi Bowser's Inside Story coming out later this year. They're both both really good games. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I like uh, I like the art style of the 3DS versions. You do kind of we talk about losing things in transition sometimes, and there's definitely something to be said. But the original version of Superstar Saga is also available on the Wii U's Virtual Console. I don't know if that'll ever come to Switch because. Holding on to your Wii U as a virtual console box may not be the best way to play these games. <laughs> um, totally not what I'm doing. Don't don't look at me that way. No, the, the Mario the Mario games are interesting too because as an ed, they're not just like they're not just taking Mario and putting our Mario stuff into a traditional RPG format. They really went all in with adapting the gameplay mechanics to fit Mario. Like the, I think that they uh, like. And they they really make sure they incorporate Mario's jumping and platforming nature into these games with like the timed button presses that yeah. have sort of become a staple of the combat. Yeah, even though I want to say at least four studios have uh, done various Mario RPGs because it was Square for uh, Mar- for Seven Stars and then Intelligent Systems for the first two Paper Mario games and Alpha mm-hmm. Dream for all the Mario and Luigi ones and I think a different studio for later Paper Mario games. That A bunch of chefs have entered the kitchen for Mario RPGs, but all mm-hmm. of them have very bright colorful visuals very um all of them have unique settings and edit enemies they they don't just throw you into Mario World or Mario 3 and just do an RPG version of that all of them have very very distinct settings and unique enemies and all of them incorporate those timed hit mechanics and mm-hmm. I, I i haven't played all of the Mario RPGs i've played probably half of them um my favorite is i think Thousand Year Door for the GameCube but all of them have a really sort of fun, anarchic sense of humor, and all of them that I've played are at least at least above average RPG experiences. Like secretly, mm-hmm. Mario was one of the best RPG series, even <laughs> though it didn't definitely didn't start as a as one. I think, and I think I expressed that sentiment on the episode from last year, but it's been a while since I've recorded or listened to it. Yeah, on a, on a pretty consistent basis, they uh, they just deliver like the, the the combat mechanics are satisfying. 
They're always flashy, fun, colorful games with a good sense of humor about themselves. And sometimes they're not perfect. Like, I mean, I think we can agree, like, okay, Partners in Time is a little... It's 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 kind of has too many mechanics going on. You're doing quite a juggling act between A, B, X, and Y, um, even during regular fights in that one. Mm-hmm. And Dream and Dream Team is at least twice as long as it needed to be. I haven't finished Dream Team or Sticker Star, and that and I think those are the two that are the weakest in the series for me. I uh-huh. think. But uh, but I, I like the first three Paper Mario games. Uh, I like. Mario RPG for the SNES. The for, um, th- there's a lot of good stuff going on in these, and I wholeheartedly recommend listeners, if you haven't already, to go back and listen to that 2017 Mario RPGs episode because we go through, I think, all of them, at least through Color Splash. Yeah. You know, I think um, Tooker was in the middle of reviewing Color Splash when it came, when that episode Uh-oh. came out, <laughs> like, like he was playing it or something. Because I think Paper Jam was out and Color Splash was coming soon, and Tooker was playing it, I think. But it, it's yeah, been a long time since that episode came out. He had some very specific gripes about that game that were that were very interesting. So yeah, there, um, Paper Mario and Mario RPG and Mario and Luigi are all. Uh, lovely Mario adaptations. I'm sorry, RPG adaptations of Mario. I'm going to say the word adaptation like 45 times per minute in this episode. <laughs> yeah, it's time to move on. Uh, let's stay. In, let's stay into the you know realm of semi-mainstream Japanese RPGs. Suikoden is a popular series made by Konami over the years. Although I'm not sure we'll ever get another Suikoden because I'm not even sure if Konami's in the business of making video games people like anymore. But that's a, what, are you, what are you talking about, Mike? <laughs> Metal Gear Survive is a game of the year contender over here. Don't you dare diss on my Silent Hill Pachinko machine. I will diss on both of both of those things, but this is not the best time for that. <laughs> the guy, the guy who designed Pyramid Head, designed the generic enemies for Metal Gear Five. I just want to throw that out there because it's really depressing. <laughs> it's just depressing meditating for long on Konami in general. Uh, the best thing Konami's done in the past year is is give Nintendo permission to put three of their games on the SNES Classic. That, that, that as, as far as I'm concerned, that's Konami's peak for the past 24 months. Maybe Yu-Gi-Oh! Duel Links, but that's that's me talking. So, <laughs> Peter, you may be speaking from a position of bias. Just thinking about it. Just just, just suggesting absolutely that. not 180 hours of that game on my. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sweet Moses, Peter. So that's what you've been doing instead of appearing on Retro Encounter episodes. Great. Pretty much, I've been I've been conquering Duelist Kingdom. <laughs> Well, all right. Uh, to be fair, I may have a game that's been distracting me from recent Retro Encounter as well, but uh, we'll, we'll talk about that later. And it, let's stay with Suikoden for now. Um, Suikoden is very, very loosely based on um, the Chinese novel Water Margin, also called um, Outlaws of the Marsh or Bandits of the Water Margin, however you want to translate it. I'm not going to attempt to say the word in Chinese because I will, I will butcher it. But it's one of the sort of classic works of Chinese literature, and it has... 108 characters, you know, engaging in all kinds of mayhem and adventures. I've I've only read about it. I have not read any a, a uh, faithful adaptation of um, Water Margin myself. But uh, Keegan, what are your what's your Suikoden experience? Keeping it very abridged for the podcast and uh, or, or Water Margin in general. Of course, um, I started playing Suikoden with the first one actually, but much later in its lifespan. I discovered it randomly at a used game shop. Picked it up, loved it, played through the entire series. Actually inspired me to check out the history and look up Water Margin. Now I'm just trying to find a solid translation to experience it correctly, if that makes sense. Sometimes you find a fan translation of these books and it's a little iffy. But 
you know, being one of the four great Chinese novels, I assume it shouldn't be too hard to find a good translation. Uh, yeah, I, I haven't, I have not done a deep dive into it, um, but I, I imagine there has to be a, uh, you know, like a professional English language translation available somewhere. But uh, I mean, again, it's it's called to say it's popular would be an understatement since it's one of the sort of like class, it, like saying that's popular is like saying, oh, you know, the Iliad and the Odyssey are popular in the Western world, kind of thing, <laughs> and it, um, and uh, Suikoden. The, the RPGs, which are you know definitely popular, or at least at, at least have a, a very large cult hit following. It doesn't really adapt the water margin straight up so much as borrow the concept of 108 heroes coming together for a greater cause kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I, I have not played any Suikoden game to con- to completion, although I've played parts of the first three. They they sort of exist on their own. Like like Suikoden has its own story that follow that you know and a through line from game to game that is not really connected to the the original novel. Yes, I would give it the comparison of Suikoden is to the water margin what the Dragon Ball series is to Journey to the West. It's <laughs> like the slight touches, you know. What you mean that there aren't you know alien monkeys in Journey West? Well, that's why I'm hoping for Suikoden six because. <laughs> I want it to really go off the rails. Suikoden 6, only the duck people from Suikoden 3 are in Suikoden 6. It's... Uh, don't get my hopes up. No, it's the opposite of Howard the Duck. There's one human character in a world of ducks. <laughs> <laughs> That's Suikoden uh. 6. But, uh, and, and so, Peter, have you played any Suikoden games? Do you have any uh, thoughts on the series? I have not. I've been waiting, kind of waiting for us to eventually do, a, hopefully, a podcast on one or two. Because I have both of those on my Vita. But, <laughs> I... That has cut, that has popped up before. Um, pay attention to the man behind the curtain for a second. Um, we we do get not a ton of emails, but we do get emails from readers sometimes. RetroRPGFan dot com, and probably the most requested game we've had is Suikoden Two. Oh. Uh, we we've gotten a I'll, I'll say a medium number of requests for that, which is you know in the neighborhood of two or three, which is more than any other game that we've gotten. And I know that there are big Suikoden Two fans on staff that would be interested in being on those episodes. So I think, uh, I, I'm not going to say we will do a Suikoden 2 episode, but there is interest, and it may yet happen. And um, I, I also have not played Suikoden 2, but am interested in doing so, so I would probably want to be on that episode, yeah. should we do it. The PS2 but, games are a little prohibitively expensive at the moment. I have Suikoden 3, and I um, that's probably the one I've played the most, actually. I, play, I played, uh, I, I believe, uh, Keegan, is, is, the, is the night girl in that game Chris? Is that her name? Yes. Yeah, okay, I played the beginning of Chris's story and thought that the characters looked good and the and the, you know, sort of political story of it was cool, but I uh I think I was playing that in college and I and in and when I was at college I would play something for 3 weeks and then exams would hit and I would completely forget about it and then start a new game after exams were over. <laughs> and that happened like four times. So if you ever hear me t- I I think I've probably mentioned a bunch of on the, on this on this podcast. Oh, I played that in college but I fell off the wagon. Like that happened eight times minimum in college for me. But <laughs> uh but anyway, so that that's our Suikoden story. Suikoden 2 might appear on Retro Encounter later, no guarantees, but I now it's out of the open. I might have to do it. We'll see. But uh, <laughs> Keegan, you mentioned Journey West, and it had a pretty all right RPG adaptation. Uh, it's probably much more obscure than Suikoden, but uh, there is a PS1 strategy RPG called Sayuki, which is not based on the Sayuki anime, which is a different adaptation of Journey West. But the Sayuki PS1 game is a pretty good strategy RPG that is a very loose adaptation of the Journey West story. It's uh, it's a, it's 
I mean, I mean, there's really only four or five characters you use at once. Three of them, um, the Sanzo is the is the priest char- is the priest main character based on Tong Sung Zong, and then there's the uh, then there's the the Monkey King, the Pig Demon, and the Sand Demon, whose names I don't totally remember. I know that Sun Wukong or Sun Goku is the uh, is the Monkey King, but I forget the names of the other two. I'm sorry. And, and then they have a, a couple other characters in addition to the four main ones that appear in the game. One of them is a, a princess or a priestess. I don't remember it perfectly, but uh, who were, I think, minor characters in Journey West but become sort of main characters in Sayuki. It's a pretty good um, strategy RPG with a lot of cool boss fights and half of your party transforms into monsters and uh, and the other half you know, are like healers and support characters that can make the, mo- the monster offensive characters stronger. I, I am sort of assuming neither of you have played the PS1 Sayuki. Is that true? To be honest, I had not even heard of it before we started uh, preparing for this podcast. I have the vaguest, vaguest re- recollection of this game, but I've never actually played it myself. <laughs> right. Well, um, it is an adaptation of Journey West, maybe uh, probably slightly more faithful than the, than the Dragon Ball anime, I would, I would say, or the Dragon Ball manga, which is a, it, definitely its own thing. But <laughs> I, rem- I played it. I'm not, I don't even remember if I finished it or not. I played it in the early 2000s when I uh, probably not that long after I got a PS1 and really, really liked it, but was very quickly um, consumed by other PS1 RPGs. Because, I mean, I mean, when I got a PS1, I, I remember the first game I had for it was Final Fantasy IX, and I just immediately started playing all of the RPGs I could for it. So Sayuki <laughs> was buried in there somewhere. I remember liking it. I think it's probably a little obscure, maybe a little hard to find, because I, I rented it from a blockbuster, which will give you an idea of how long yeah. ago it was. But I, it totally counts as an RPG adaptation, and I definitely have fond memories of it. That's something I should try to try to track, to track it down and replay that thing, because that would awaken a very weird part of nostalgia for me, I think. Right. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was in high school, and, and a lot of stuff was going on, I guess. But I think we're about done about with um, adaptations of great Chinese novels because I don't, I don't even well, know if there's is there a, a Romance of the Three Kingdoms RPG that we can talk about? I mean, uh, there probably think, there probably is. There's, like, prob- there's probably have... forty of them, but I uh, <laughs> they're not on the list, that? so I don't think we need to deal with it. There is a Dragon Ball RPG though, isn't there? Oh, um, yes, there is. Indeed, there is. I think that there's you know okay. I mean, slowing it down a little bit. There's probably a hundred anime RPG adaptations from the '90s that we didn't play. <laughs> Yeah, because or I mean, possibly didn't get really. There was a Bleach strategy RPG for the DS. I just remembered that that exists. They made at oh, least <laughs> they made at least six Bleach fighting games for the PSP alone. Because I, I even remember seeing Bleach Heat the Soul Six on a at a uh, uh, at an import store once. But let, let's um, stick to RPGs. And uh, Keegan, there is uh, Dragon Ball Attack of the Saiyans. I think you added that to the list. Um, was it, what system is that for? That is for the uh, DS original. Okay. So tell us a little bit about that, because I have not heard of it. Okay, so fun fact about this game, it was made by a young Monolith Soft, who are now currently famous for the Xenoblade games. The RPG-ness really shines through in this one. All right, so fans of the series, um, this game takes place between the end of the original Dragon Ball anime up to um, the end of the Saiyans arc in Dragon Ball Z. So it's not a big time span for the game. I'd probably give it about like 20 hours. It's a bit of a shorter RPG. Party members that you get include Goku, obviously, Krillin, Gohan, Piccolo, and Tien and Yamcha. So a lot of the classic Dragon Ball fighters are in there. 
the combat is exactly a straight up turn-based RPG, similar to, you know, a Final Fantasy or Dragon Quest, any classic RPG. What I expect from a Dragon Ball game is usually like intense fighting, and they managed to put that intenseness into an RPG so perfectly. Every attack feels fluid, all of the combos and techniques that you can do, fantastic. And it's all right, I'm gonna be honest. I'm just glad that they gave Yamcha some time in the spotlight. All right, I really <laughs> needed it. I love him. I think he deserves better. Yamcha's in Dragon Ball Fighter Z, so you can act out your Yamcha <laughs> fantasies uh, via three-on-three intense fighting if you want. That is true, but he doesn't have the highest attack stat, unlike Dragon Ball Attack of the Saiyans. <laughs> really? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, seriously. Yamcha is physically the strongest. Not including your key blast, which functions magic in this game. Okay. As, so. Just as long as he doesn't fight any Cybermen, I think Yamcha's good to go. <laughs> I've heard, well, I, we do get to see that Cybermen model, and it's not pretty. <laughs> I, 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 see, I, I know, I, it's funny that you mentioned this game, because I, I actually remember there's, actually, there's another uh, Dragon Ball Z RPG um, that uh, Game Informer just did a replay video of it, which is why, what brought it to mind. Um, it was for the Super Famicom. It's called Super Saiya Densetsu. Um, awesome. And, oh. yeah. <laughs> it's the it's actually canon to Secret of Mana. Fun fact. Um, <laughs> Continue. <laughs> um, really, all I, I I remember I had the replay episode on in the background when I was doing some I was doing something else, and um, I, so I don't remember much about this game other than every time you die in the early part of the game, um, it just shows Vegeta flying towards Earth, and that's the game over screen. Like you failed in Vegeta One, um, <laughs> that's that's some early Dragon Ball for you, and I kind of love it. Early DB- DBZ post Dragon Ball. <laughs> mm-hmm. So the dragon, there are more Dragon Ball games than there are like, I don't know, air particles. So yeah, because it's sort of weird because Dragon Ball and DBZ basically took place, I think, entirely in the 1980s in Japan. Maybe they went into the early 90s a little bit. But the anime adaptations of those were slowly rolled out into North America and Europe and became part of the childhood of of an entire generation of anime and gaming nerds, including all three of us, I'm assuming. So, oh, it, like, yeah. so if, you're, exactly. if, if you're at a gaming or an anime convention, I mean, you want to make some friends, like get nostalgic about Dragon Ball, and suddenly, mm-hmm. and suddenly you'll be you know, rolling off to a bar with some people. It is one of the broadest fan bases... In uh, in the world, I think at least in our you know specific spheres of nerddom that we that we tread in, but there's pro- there's probably twenty Dragon Ball and DBZ games going back to the Famicom days that uh, never saw the light of day. I know that there was, I mean uh, I'm going to say a dirty word here, but I uh, emulated some real weird Dragon Ball Z Genesis games. <laughs> um, several years ago, that were where we're sitting around and charging up your your uh, Super Saiyan meter was a, a big part of gameplay. I don't even remember what, what it was called, mm. but there's so much Dragon Ball video games out there. I am zero percent surprised that there are a couple RPGs among them. But uh, Keegan, mm. you would you recommend Attack of the Saiyans, or was it at at, at least serviceable? I would actually highly recommend it. It's oh. definitely on the shorter side. Doesn't have much replay value. If you're a fan of the Dragon Ball series, it is very faithful to what fans expect from these games. And not to mention more Yamcha. So, like, you know, buy it. He's the best boy. <laughs> He's the best boy. He's got a talking, transforming cat partner. Okay, 2009 uh, has four stars on Amazon reviews. Seems like an A-plus game to me. Yeah. 
Oh boy, let's stay in the realm of anime adaptations for older systems. Uh, there's a Sailor Moon Super Nintendo, or I should say Super Famicom RPG, guys, that, mm-hmm. uh, say that dirty word again, I emulated many, many years ago because it was on a list, uh, on, I was, it was on some weird top ten list of best, you know, best uh, Super Nintendo, Super Famicom games that never came west or something. This is, this is uh, probably at least 15 years ago we're talking about so i uh so i downloaded it and tried it and and yeah and i thought that the the sprites on the main screen looked a little bit like ff6 so i was intrigued but uh i can't really say much about it other than it exists and seems like seems like a pretty good or at least functional sailor moon rpg and i uh and i did see a lot of the sailor moon original anime way back in the day so i was at least interested in it for a while but i i didn't it didn't stick to me really. Uh, it, it's not as good as the best Super Famicom RPGs, but it's uh, it exists. Sailor Moon: Another Story is the, or I should say, Bishojo Sailor Moon: Another Story is the name of that one. Have, have either of you guys encountered it before? I I'm far from expert level in being able to talk about it. No, it's, I, I know it exists. That's about it. All right. Um, so I've seen a couple of Let's Players play through it on Twitch sure. and YouTube, and it definitely does give that Final Fantasy VI vibe. I think it's the proportions of the sprites on the world map is what made me is what reminded me of Final Fantasy VI. I'm not saying this game plays like Final Fantasy VI or is as good as Final Fantasy VI. I I just had a like like a visual reaction like oh this is kind of like this kind of looks like FF6, but yeah. um it I mean really Peter had the most accurate review of all of us. It exists. <laughs> so uh, Peter hitting up you again. Well, what's something else on this list here that we want to tackle? Ooh, well, let me see. Uh, well, Knights of the Old Republic is pretty awesome. Sure, uh, ooh, yeah. Star Wars um, is a topical thing right now. Yeah, let, let's uh, pop back into the world of Bioware. Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic was a hugely successful OG Xbox game. I think it was exclusive to that for a little while and then got PC ports later. Kodor has an enduring enough legacy that um, a, a, a tiny cameo appearance of one of the ships in Star Wars Rogue One like caused my entire theater to go ballistic. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> like, like it—it's it, one of those aspects of the ex, ex, extended universe that is so far in the history of the Star Wars universe that even though it may technically be only a legend, quote unquote, it's—it still—it still resonates very powerfully with some, and it's um, I think it's a lot of people's probably one of the most wide-reaching expanded universe stories outside of maybe the, the Thrawn novels. And it just does it. It just does a really good job of immersing you into an unseen side of this universe of that universe and literally getting you to just getting you to experience like the light side and dark or dark side, uh, whichever you see fit. Yeah. Yeah. You're right, Peter, that, uh, KOTOR is extremely popular. Uh, I think it has maybe one of the most famous, I won't say what it is, but one of the most famous twists in RPGs from around that time mm-hmm. with a, with sort of what happens before the game goes into its final act. I have played a fair amount of KOTOR. I even borrowed a friend's Xbox to play it, but I, but I didn't finish it intending because uh, I intended to get the PC version later because um, mm-hmm. I think I was even building my PC at the time, and I, and I was excited to start playing on Steam for, you know, things better than my college, old college laptop but my uh, my video card had a problem running kotor it would uh w- whenever i entered combat i would be unable to exit certain menus and i'd be frozen in place so unless oh. like saving and reloading every time i entered into every time i finished a battle um, uh, that seemed 
cumbersome to me, so I didn't continue yeah. with it. Um, there, yeah. there, there might be uh, bug fixes for my specific issue that uh, by now, because this was at least six or seven years ago. I was trying to do that. I'm sure um, there are. I'm sure there are because the game has a pretty dedicated fan base. Um, from what I understand, the PC version is a little jank, and especially on modern um, operating systems. At, can have a hard time running properly. Yeah, I, I I did a little bit of research and I thought and I um, found enough similar issues th- um, that made me think it was my video card that was the issue. My video card was too recent for to to handle Kotor, which is a weird problem. But uh, <laughs> good. Yeah. This is bizarre. <laughs> yeah, especially since it was like a because it was it said it worked on Windows Seven, which is what I had at the time. And uh, th- th- again, this is like 2011 or 2012. But yeah, Star Wars Kotor is very acclaimed, very popular. Um, I when I, and I did play a lot of it on the original Xbox and was really impressed with it. It was the I think it was the first Bioware game I ever played. Um, but it was it was not the one I first one I ever finished because I I didn't get to the end. But uh, it did have have a semi follow up in the MMO RPG The Old Republic. Well, it had a direct sequel as well. Oh right, you? oh right, it had a it had yeah. Kotor too, and who, that was the um. Oh shoot! That was the the Fallout New Vegas people that made that, right? Obsidian, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it, it continued the proud Obsidian tradition of being way more interesting than the game that came before it, while also being unfinished. <laughs> Those Obsidian guys—they have great gameplay ideas and some good writers, but they just—they have a—they need some more QA time or something for every game they make. Yeah, and I don't think that's that—that's that, been their fault. I do think that a lot of that is publisher push. Codor Two is really interesting. It actually—it's probably—it's got some of the some of the most intriguing characters in um the uh the star wars canon the sith triumvirate uh there's a there's a trio of sith lords in that game uh, Ni- uh i don't remember one of the it's i know nihilus and uh tria are two of them and they're fantastic characters the game was released with significant cut contents um and uh a lot of plot holes, but a lot of that content was dummied out and players were able to mod it back in. And now that mod actually comes with um, the Steam version by default. Yeah, so. I, I remember reading about that. Or no, not reading about it. I, I'm certain it was a different podcast. I, I heard someone talk about that on the podcast and how um, remarkably dedicated the KOTOR 2 following is to the point mm-hmm. which they, they've restored a lot of the missing edges uh They've they've smoothed out a lot of the rough edges of the game and restored a lot of the cut content, which is really impressive because this is over a decade in 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 coming. I think right, like it's oh, been yeah. so yeah. it's been a group of fans working for possibly as much as ten years building and restoring this game. It's uh that, that that's really impressive. I have zero experience with Kotor two. So mm-hmm. um, did you really need to play the first one to get into the second one? No, I'd say I don't. I don't, I'd say I'd say it's worth playing both of them, but you don't, you could probably jump into two first. It, that's another game that's been uh, suggested for the podcast before, the, the first KOTOR specifically, but uh, um, it, it hasn't happened yet. I think we've had it on, on our internal votes a couple times, but um, mm-hmm. now I, I, uh, I, I unfairly skipped over KOTOR 2 and tried, to t- and tried to talk about this game about five minutes ago, but <laughs> um, there is a, uh, uh, an MMO Star Wars game called The Old Republic, or just Tor, or SW Tor, that Bioware has been making. It's, it's had a bit of a... Um, I don't know exactly if I'd call it troubled or not because it uh, it started out as a traditional MMO model with a monthly fee, and but then they were losing money on it, so they moved it to a free to play model that was more successful. And m- maybe you knew this or maybe you didn't, but Tor is still going on. Has had six expansions, with the most recent of those be being December of 2016. So it's that thing is still going. I don't know if there's going to be a seventh expansion. I this is not something I follow closely. 
but like it, whenever I hear about some the old Republic news popping up, I I sort of think, wait, that thing's still going on. <laughs> the little uh, CGI short films they release for for the old Republic are pretty sweet. I've watched a few of those. I haven't played the game myself though. I um, I don't know a ton about the game, but I know that you can pick one of several classes, and each class has sort of its own dedicated uh, um single-player-ish storyline that has multiplayer functionality. And uh, my one friend that played through multiple characters worth of this game said that the uh, the smuggler class was her favorite. So And uh, and when you think of, you know, um, of Star Wars fantasies, it's usually either related to being a pilot or related to being a Jedi or Sith. But, no, apparently being a, slug, a smuggler is super cool in the Old Republic. So, so yeah, good on it's... them for making that interesting. It's a solid class. I was actually a pretty avid player of Tor um, right when it hit the free-to-play model. Okay. And definitely, it feels like a single-player RPG with MMO elements to it, which is a very good thing, in my opinion. FF14 like, does that sometimes, but I think that this game might even be more nakedly like that. It's, I mean, what really shines through that I haven't seen in any other MMO with kind of 14 coming close to it is the interactions with party members because you can still have party members in the game like they'll follow you on missions and whatnot i believe you can take them into dungeons but just like any bioware game like they have their own stories you can romance some of them what happens with them will affect your own personal ending to the main um storyline and that's bioware it's very in depth yeah and um i have not played the new expansions but from what i've heard in the bioware community of fans is that these new expansions are what everyone wants KOTOR 3 to be. Hmm, interesting. It, I've heard nothing but good praise from it. In fact, uh, I believe last time I created a new character, you can skip to the expansions. It's almost like doing a skip potion in a Final Fantasy XIV. Like, they just want to take you to the really good content. It's like, oh, here's a, here's a, you know, a, a crystal that gets you to level 60, so you can do the level 60 to 70 content kind of deal? Yep, pretty much, yeah. Neat. For a free-to-play MMO, I think it's pretty good. Right on. Okay, I wasn't aware you had played Tor. I, I put that on the list without thinking any of us had played it, which is a very unfair assumption on my part. Always get little surprises. Mm. <laughs> but now, guys, we've talked about Baldur's Gate. We've talked about Knights of the Old Republic. Let's talk about the true peak of Bioware RPG mastery, the oh, greatest, yes. the greatest <laughs> RPG Bioware has ever made, and that is Sonic the Dark Brotherhood for the DS. The RPG Move adaptation... Over Mario. The RPG adaptation of the fastest thing alive, Sonic the Hedgehog. Um, guys, <laughs> I have played this. I didn't get very far in it. And um, y- y- weirdly, you know what it reminded me of? And this is, I mean, you just said it a second ago, Keegan. It kind of reminded me of a Mario RPG. Because there's a lot of uh, platforming-ish interaction with a very cartoony overworld. And combat also has, you know, a bunch of Sonic-flavored characters doing Sonic things. But I mean, mm-hmm. this is not an impressive game. It's uh, I, I I don't even I mean I mean I mean Sonic fans, bless their hearts, uh, try to defend a lot of games I would not call good. But I I don't know if there's many that would defend the Dark Brotherhood. It's uh, yeah. it's it's something. I mean, it was an attempt. You know, I mean, hey, Mario did good in RPGs. Why couldn't we attempt with Sonic? But no, it, it's it's not a bad idea. And in fact, yeah. like. On the surface, it seemed all right, but it is just—it's not a great game, man. You know, you know what doesn't go fast-paced gameplay? Turn-based combat, putting the fastest creature alive and making him wait turns. 
doesn't and, feel fun. And telling you, you know to spin dash in a menu instead of actual spin dash. Yeah. You no, know, it doesn't work with with Bioware style conversation trees. The dialogue in Sonic Brotherhood. What are you talking about, Eggman? It's, it's a lot of shadow, darkness. Oh no, the darkness is here now. <laughs> darkness. I'm heart. sorry. We're we talking about Kingdom Hearts again, or darkness, light, friendship. Um, no, no, we're, we're actually talking about Tokyo Xanadu and Pirates of Dark Water and literally everything. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> Doesn't it end on a cliffhanger, too? Dark Brother? Yes, it does. I remember that. <laughs> I, I, did um, not, I did not get to the end of this game, so this is a surprise, but sure. All right, so <laughs> this is from, like, 10-year-old Keegan's memory. I believe the second half of the game takes place in another dimension or on another planet. Something like that. Anyways, when the main gang comes back, Turns out the whole world has been taken over by Dr. Robotnik, and it ends with a to-be-continued, and it has never been continued. Oh, goody. Well, we'll never get... I don't know if we'll ever get Sonic the Light Sisterhood, but um, we, we uh-huh. definitely... We, we, we definitely got... Patent, Alright, I'll, 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 yeah, I'll, uh, I'll try to trademark that ASAP. But, uh, yeah, the, the Dark Brotherhood was a hell of a weird idea that somehow got on the DS from Bioware, of all people. But yeah, it, 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 it was, the, it was not a smash hit. That one, I just don't understand that. Yeah, that is really playing some video game Mad Libs, arriving at that. Sonic RPG with Bioware. In, now, continuing with the uh, with platformers becoming unlikely RPGs, there's a handful of Mega Man RPGs out there. And yeah. I I am a big Mega Man fan, and, per, and perhaps surprisingly, I have not played any of the Mega Man Battle Network games. I, I don't have a good excuse. I mean, I played a, an F-ton of Game Boy RPG, of Game Boy Advance RPGs, way back in the day, and I love Mega Man. I don't know why this one skipped me over, but Keegan, you have played some Battle Network, is that right? Yes, um, I touched on it. I don't think I've played all of them. I think I stopped around like three or four. There's a lot of the Battle Network there are, games. There are there are seven ma- entries in the Battle Network series because there's that one GameCube one. Oh, that's and, right. And several of them oh. were divided into two versions, like a Pokemon Red Blue kind of situation, yep. right? There was also a com- there was also all of them. there was a complete port of five on the Nintendo DS, and then there was also those three. C- it, 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 there was the three DS ones that they're not Battle Network; they're a separate series. Oh, is that is that Star Force? Yes, Star, Star Force. Force. That's it. I couldn't remember so, the name. I remember, so, yeah, they remember like the, the Mega Man got weird on the DS because you had like ZX and ZX Advent, which were like new versions of Mega Man Zero. Then you had Star Force, which is like a new version of Battle Network, it, and and none of them were as po- as uh, as popular as its as their predecessor series. No, but um. You say what you will about Mario's proliferation into RPGs. Uh, there are eleven Mega Man RPGs at what? least. <laughs> <laughs> if you if you had me get if you had me guess that number, I probably would have said six, and just assuming that there was five Battle Network games. Yep, because you have to include all all the Battle Network games plus the GameCube one plus the DS ones plus Command Mission. Now, Mega Man X Command Mission, which I have finished, is um. You know what? You can probably skip Mega Man X Command Mission. <laughs> really? No, it's it's all right. It, it is from one of the in-house Capcom teams. I think it's the same group that worked on X7 and X8 because it takes place in between those. Even though Mega Man X himself looks really different, he has like he has like orange outlines on his armor. But it's a uh, mm-hmm. 
Um, it, it's a game where uh, it, it's turn-based combat. Uh, X Zero and Axel are in it. If you're a fan of X Seven and X Eight, and they add, I think, four or five other robots. There's a my favorite one is the um, is the lady thief reploid named Mari, Mar, uh, Marino. I think was her name. Yeah, yeah, Marino. Either Marina or Marino. But there's a there's a, a nurse robot named Cinnamon and a gambler robot named Spider. The enemy is this dude named Epsilon who looks like he's made of feathers and darkness. But um, it was it, it's a it's an okay turn based RPG. The designs are colorful and uh, and interesting. Um, there are some completely ludicrous twists that don't make any sense in the last two hours that I don't want to talk about. But uh, <laughs> It's a it's a functional RPG that I don't think is great, and um, like like if you really like say Mega Man X Eight and want to see an RPG with with characters that look like that, then I guess track down Command Mission. But I, I don't. It's I wouldn't even put it in a top in a top fifteen of PS two RPGs. <laughs> what did you What did you think of Battle Network, Keegan? I enjoy repetitive at times, mostly when it came to a uh, grinding for the. I believe they were called chips. Basically, kind of like the card system yeah, of the yeah. game. Oh, uh, instead of I, oh, I'm sorry, just, I, I want to interrupt really quick. The, the thing that I thought that that was the most disappointing thing about Command Mission is that um, X Zero and Axel don't get powers every time you beat a boss. When? Yeah, it's 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 just a linear storyline, and you collect items called Force Metal that you customize onto characters that gives them different powers. But it's you 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 don't defeat bosses and gain, gain their powers, which I, w- was just awful. But but I, but I played through it to the end, and it was, you know, it's an okay RPG. But back to Battle Network. <laughs> but yeah, um, so aside from the uh, Mega Man's Blaster, a lot of your abilities come from chips. Uh, pretty positive it's chips. Chips that you collect from enemies and bosses, which are what give Mega Man his, you know, Mega Man-like abilities. Well, I, I want to ask you, Peter, because you're more of a card-based player than I am. What did you think about the systems? Um, so I, I didn't play much of Battle Network, truth be told with you. I, I enjoyed the concept in theory, but like you said, collecting chips kind of got to be a real bore in the first one. Um, and then there's like, you know, then they made a million more of these games and I just couldn't <laughs> get Um, though I do remember, um, and this is going way back, they had a spinoff, uh, cartoon, um, that was playing. Yes, they did. I remember that. Yeah. Battle, 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 what was it called? I don't even know. Access? I don't remember, but there was an N in there, and something was spelled wrong. NT Warriors, that was it. Yes, that was it. <laughs> Mega Man NT Warriors, and then they had they had. That um, is another thing to add to the list of things I would not think about in 2018 if it was not for this <laughs> podcast. But this exists, and I remember it because my friend had the um, she had like the toy of the uh the, the chip reader thing from that, which you could collect figures that came with chips, and occasionally uh-huh. you would have to fight viruses by. Because Mega Man would start buzzing on your thing and be like, "Hey, you need to put chips in me." <laughs> uh, <laughs> Ask your parents for more money so I can survive. Oh wow! <laughs> they really went. They they went full ham with it, and no, no, it was yeah, it was kind of fun. Now, I don't know how many RPG fan podcasts I've talked about this already on, but we're going to stay in the world of Capcom for a little bit because. Roar. Guys, there was a Monster Hunter RPG that came out last year, and it's not oh, a, it's not a traditional Monster Hunter action missions multiplayer thing. It was a DS game where you befriend Monster Hunter monsters and ride them, and it's a, it has sort of chibi designs. It's called Monster Hunter Stories. We didn't mention it on the Monster Hunter podcast I did a month ago, which is a which seems like a, a glaring omission. 
uh, right yeah, now. That. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's that's my bad. But anyway, Monster Hunter Stories came out last year in the United States, and uh, I think a little bit earlier in Japan. Um, we did have a review on it from around uh, September or October of 2017. Um, I think Nathan reviewed it, but uh, I haven't played it yet, and um, I think it's because I was. It's, there's just too many video games in general. But <laughs> have, have either of you guys uh, tried out Monster Hunter Stories? I've dabbled in it. I'm not super far. I only have like two monsters. But it's very entertaining. You still have the whole um, aspect from Monster Hunter of collecting items from defeated monsters to build yourself new gear. But Th- That is now... basically all of Monster Hunter, so yeah. Yeah, I've heard that's part of it. So, <laughs> But with the addition of uh, rideable monsters and them fighting in combat, it's a nice little thing. I've heard people say, and that includes our own um, favorite social media manager, Steph, that it is basically their favorite Pokemon game <laughs> because it um like the collection aspects of it and the very varied um menagerie of monsters in it are you know cool designs and the and uh, cool to collect and see in your party but it has other things like uh you um you hatch monsters from eggs and try to get the best combinations of them and pass skills from monster to monster and you can uh fight alongside them and ride them and not just have them you know fight other monsters in like some horrifyingly sanitized version of cock fi- of cockfighting but <laughs> um but no it it had a positive reception and uh i think uh a lot of the monster hunter community does not give a damn about it because they want to hunt monsters their way oh yeah <laughs> but it mm-hmm. but it has a following and did have a positive reception i think i'm going to have to try i'm i it's been on my my list of, on my radar just cuz i feel like i'm, I'm pr- i feel like i'd be pretty bad at the mainline monster hunter games but i i this looks more my speed um, it looks cool. I I have almost bought it like a dozen times, probably. But I think I was um, when it was when it was out. I was more hotly anticipating Monster Hunter World and less interested yeah, in, in playing stories. <laughs> but I mean, um, if you ever want to see an adorable Rathalos, like pick up Monster Hunter Stories. Uh, I, these I monsters have, get cute. Okay, okay, all right, man. I don't know if I should say this on the podcast. I have seen an adorable Rathalos because I. I received a Rathalos Funko Pop as a gift <laughs> um, for my for my birthday last month. So yeah, I have an Aww. adorable Rathalos a few shelves over from this computer desk. In fact, it's kind of awesome. Yeah, there there are a handful of Monster Hunter Funkos, and Rathalos is one of them, and it is very what? cute. The more you know. Mm-hmm. So I think it's enough talk about Monster Hunter stories. Again, I don't know how it happened, but I've talked about Monster Hunter on like four podcasts in 2018 already <laughs> I, I i feel like i'm getting away with something R- really like i don't have to pay to do this i'm doing this for free <laughs> this is going to be retro encounters version of uh, dark souls references <laughs> god we actually compared monster hunter to dark souls in the last episode of random encounter i was on which which seems like some kind of singularity i think i think we also talked about diablo in the same conversation so like everyone just everyone collect your uh, random encounter bingo card right now because just everyone won <laughs> But uh, we're going to jump around a little bit. Um, guys, I don't know if you remember this, but there was a DS games about it 10 years ago called Glory of Heracles, which was a sort of a traditional fantasy RPG um, that probably resembled 18,000 other Japanese RPGs, but set in the realm of Greek myth. Now, maybe, maybe, maybe you heard of it, maybe you haven't, but maybe you also knew that it's the fifth Glory of Heracles game or something. Um, uh, there have been Heracles RPGs in Japan since the days of the original Famicom, and I think it's... I could be wrong here. I think it was two on, the, uh, two on Famicom, two on Super Famicom, and then 
uh, another one or two on DS in the DSGBA range. But the one that came, the only one that's come out in English is one of the DS ones. And I, you know, I I did buy it and play it. It's buried in my two large DS collection somewhere. I didn't get that far because I think I played it during college. Oh, it's another one of those. <laughs> but but you know, it, it was functional. Um, you uh, you met fairies that gave you elemental powers. Uh, everyone was wearing tunics. It's a it's a very bright, colorful game, but uh, with mostly traditional two D um uh, not not two D uh, traditional two turn based combat. But it wasn't bad. I didn't hate it. I just forgot about it. Does any of you guys play Glory of Heracles or are aware of the other ones? I think – I'm not sure if it was a random or retro or some other podcast, but I remember hearing about it and being thoroughly just neutral. Just like, oh, that's a game. Well, back in the day, um, I used to subscribe to Nintendo Power magazine before they went under. And uh, uh, this was around the time I was like really kind of starting to become more aware of JRPGs and getting into them. Um and I think also that uh, the magazine during the Wii and DS years uh, really had to, to scrounge for coverage a bit. So they would often give um, more niche titles, a bit more of a spotlight, which was kind of interesting. Um, and Glory of Heracles was kind of like a, you know, okay, there's another RPG coming to the DS, and this one's really interesting and based on Greek myth. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. And then I never played it. And then I found out after the fact there were like five of these things. And there might be really there might be more than five. Um, I I I think this is the fifth one. I could be wrong about that. I just know that there was a bunch. And when I first heard of them, I was surprised that they ever existed. I think there's a partial fan translation out for one of the Super Famicom ones. Yeah. But I uh, I, I, I enjoy Greek mythology, so I feel like sure. I dig these. All right. So that's Glory of Heracles. Keegan, you added something to the list that I was kicking myself for not thinking of myself. Um, the X-Men Legends and Marvel Ultimate Alliance games. They they were four RPGs in the uh, PS2 and PS3 era. I've played all four and really liked all four to varying degrees. My favorite one is probably X-Men Legends 2 because it, it's it's probably the best version of the Apocalypse story which oh, because, yeah. because, it def- the, because that definitely isn't X-Men Apocalypse. The four pretty good RPGs with surprisingly great co-op, I would say. Um, oh, uh, goodness, yes. Like, like MUA2, I would say, would be the worst one, except that the co-op is awesome, because uh, every pair of characters has a has like a dual super move that you can t- time with other other players. It's, it's great. Like, it's uh, it almost replaced the hole in my heart that uh, was left there when uh, Seiken and Setsu stopped being good. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, those four games they all touch weird corners of the uh, of the um, Marvel universe. I mean, like part of X Men Legends Two takes place in the Savage Land for God, for Christ's sakes. So Keegan, uh, which of those have you played, and, uh, and what are your thoughts on them? Uh, I've actually played all except Legends One, I believe. Legends oh, One. Inter- Legends One is a bunch of New York City uh, X Men Mansion Sentinels and fighting Magneto. <laughs> so I'm not missing out on much, is what you're telling me. <laughs> it, it, it's it's a bunch of late '70s, early '80s Mega Man story. Uh, Mega Man. Whoops. Um, X Men <laughs> stories. Wrong. 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 X and wrong men. That's my bad. It, it's fine, but X Men Legends Two is better. Oh yeah. The, le- I personally, I think my favorite is probably Ultimate Alliance One, but that was the first one I was introduced. Two, and it was the one I went through completely in co-op with three other friends. Oh, yeah. So that, that's a little bit of nostalgia love in my heart that Ultimate Alliance 1 will always have. I, I was always Spider-Man. <laughs> I love him. Um, <laughs> He's my I, favorite. My, my, my experience with them was actually kind of uh, surprisingly varied. I played through X-Men Legends 1 
um, with my best friend, played it almost entirely two players. We each had we each basically drafted characters, and like so, like half of them were Mike characters, and half of them were David characters. Yeah, exactly. And we and we and we played through the whole game together. And uh, and then I played it. I played it again by myself later. I think playing a bunch of David characters he wouldn't let me use when we when we were you know fifteen, um, or maybe I was sixteen or seventeen. I don't remember. But uh, I, then I played X Men Legends two by myself. But I decided to only use the four Brotherhood characters, which was a shockingly <laughs> which was a shockingly good team like i don't know toad should not be that strong in any video game but he was like i don't think i ever used him (laughs) you can build him either to be either for a mucus build or a tongue build and both of them are way too strong for being freaking toad in an in a in a marvel game Uh, i'm absolutely not going to take um mike talking about mucus and tongue (laughs) oh boy oh boy uh we should we should be roommates again at e3 this year peter but <laughs> I, if I can make it, we'll see. But uh, anyway, um, and then I I, uh, I did play through MA, MUA one. I think mostly solo. I played that one last of the four, weirdly. But did have a dedicated group that and pl- that played MUA two together with. And man, that game is incredible multiplayer. Like all of them are good multiplayer, but MUA two just you know what? We're just gonna have the storyline just be a, a big old shrug about civil war and nano machines and didn't just make it uh, make amazing two player attacks and that's that's what they did. Did you guys have to fight it out between uh going with Cap or uh, Iron Man's team? Oh no, all of us, all of, all of us all of us were so pro Cap that it was not even a question. I know, right? But sorry, I'm getting angry at friends I haven't seen in years. <laughs> That's an argument that still lingers. <laughs> in in the comics and in the modern MCU, I think Iron Man has a better argument, but they make it they they make in MUA two they make it so so um do you support freedom or do you support an oppressive regime that it it's it's yeah. a little one sided it, it's more um, the, the the Civil War storyline is more nuanced in the comics and in and in Captain America Civil War and it's not even that nuanced in those. <laughs> I'd say I'd say the movie does a better job of making the characters nuanced and complicated. Civil War comic is a uh, uh, yeah yeah. <laughs> the, the, the Civil War parts of MUA two are not are not great, but like uh, but you'll get a bunch of great stuff like Captain America saying I wear the flag that means I don't lose and like just a, a bunch of great Marvel cheese and really good uh, multiplayer in in all four of those games, but. And MUA2 might have the most cheese in the best multiplayer. Mm-hmm. But I think that that's enough talking about superheroes. Let's talk about, you know, body horror and, and weird Japanese sci-fi novels. Um, oh, boy. Yee. So this is my I have not played any Atlas RPG older than Persona 1, which gives me, you know, Persona 1 was my Vietnam, let's just say. I think that, I think that gives you superhuman powers. Maybe. Oh, maybe I get a cameo in Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3. Um, Shin Megami Tensei has many, many dedicated fans that know much more about Shin Megami Tensei than I do, so I don't want to sound condescending, but you may know that the first Megami Tensei games were for the Famicom and were based on a novel called Megami Tensei, uh, I believe di- a Digital Devil story or something, because it's, it's about... It's about like er, like early internet, early computers, demons inside the machine kind of situation. And and those and those for the first two Megami Tensei games, I believe, were made by Namco and not Atlas. And Atlas start sort of created their the modern SMT with the first Shin Megami Tensei, which is which are follow ups to these two games. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they had the new prefix on right. there. 
yeah. different. Yep. Shin, yeah. which means true or new, or a bunch of things that uh, that you know the the Japanese language is more nuanced than I'm uh, than I'm I'm making it seem, I guess. But <laughs> so so, but I don't know anything about um, SMT or regular MT games before before let's say before Nocturne or Persona Two, because I don't I've I've blocked most of Persona One out of my memory. So do you guys know anything about these novels? Or or um, or old Megami Tensei. So I never read the novels, but I did watch the um, animated movie based on the first novel, and it has those uh, SMT vibes to it way back then. Mostly, I'd say in the character design, a lot of the designs still ring true even to this day in you know modern SMT and Persona games. Um, and I I know that one of the old uh, Megami Tensei novels. Uh, has a Izanagi Izanami story allegory in it, and and that's referenced heavily in Persona Four. Yes, mm-hmm. which is a, a, a callback I wasn't aware of until I was reading everything I could about Persona Four several years ago. But so so uh, they, they go they go real deep into the mythology and uh, sort of digital devil weirdness in this in this book. Yes, a very interesting thing that um. Uh, somebody pointed out to me about the original book in animation is how a lot of the villainous um, gods and creatures come from Western mythology and like Christianity and stuff. While the good gods and goddesses are very much Shinto and Eastern religions. I found that as a little, a little interesting, you know, (laughs) (laughs) which uh, I forgot to mention that the big bad of the first book is uh, the God Loki who, I, th- I think everyone knows who Loki is at this point, thanks to Marvel. I was to say, is he played by Tom Hiddleston? Yes, amazingly enough. <laughs> oh well, that's 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 some, that's some fourth dimension. Uh, right <laughs> the Megami Tensei Loki is a giant blue monster, which is it's a new in, it's a new interpretation that I've never seen of Loki. No, he's he, you clearly need to go rewatch Thor one. I don't do that actually, but um, <laughs> don't don't tell me to have a bad time, Peter. All right. It has Kat Dennings. It's not that bad, but yeah, whatever. And it, it also has uh, Stellan Skarsgård, who's a who's a cool dude. Yes, who is a wonderful actor, and it has that that Brana cheese. I, uh, uh, Thor favorite. Thor one is bad. It's one of the worst. It's one of the worst <laughs> MC, modern MCU movies. I don't, I don't recommend it. But I mean, I mean, the old SMT and regular MT games where the different factions of Hindu gods here, Norse gods there, Judeo Christian gods there, traditional Japanese gods there, all in different factions with different belief systems is. Is a fascinating exercise, and and I experienced them mostly in cameo form by playing the Persona games. Yeah, but uh, I feel like that would be an interesting to revisit the origins of that series at some point. Perhaps if Atlas were continues their remake trend. Yeah, because um, they did a uh, a mobile phones version of SMT one, I think. But that, that's yeah, S- that's available in the West. Yeah, that's SMT, not regular MT. And the 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 books from the nineteen eighties, or maybe just one or two books, was uh is just MT. Then it had two Namco games, and then from early nineties onward, a bunch of Atlas games. That, yeah, so there were that. Yeah, so where the rights for that would fall. Yeah, but uh, I mean, sh- I I wouldn't know that either. But I mean, sometimes RPG fan is even called Atlas fan or SMT fan. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you you know we have a you know we have a bunch of people on staff that really like those. And just salty the Persona Five one game of the year. <laughs> <laughs> Final Fantasy fifteen and Persona Five back back to back games of the year that created a lot of fan salt. <laughs> Surpri- surprisingly, but um, any anyway, um, let's we don't need to talk about. 2016 and 2017 games. Let's go back to 1999, 2000, and talk about Parasite Eve. Um, oh yeah. 
Now, we had a Parasite Eve episode, or I think maybe two episodes, way back in 2015, the year of our podcast's birth. Maybe you knew, maybe you didn't, that it is based on a Japanese sci-fi novel that was made into a live-action movie, and Parasite Eve is a intended to be a sequel to that novel. Am I correct in, in that brief abridged summary? I believe you are correct. All right. Um, I, I think that um, they, they, ref, they directly reference another incident in Parasite Eve, the game, and uh, the Doctor made a character in general. I think they're both meant to be references to the novel. Cool. So have, have any of us seen the, uh, seen the movie or read the novel? Because I've played Parasite Eve 1, and it's, a, it's excellent. I mean, I, I think I, I wasn't on that podcast episode, but I believe that the, uh, it, it was a very celebratory episode pretty much. But, yeah, one um, of my favorite games of all time. I still haven't oh, checked nice. out the source material, though. I, I really ought to one of these days because I'm kind of fascinated. This series has a long, weird, tumultuous track record of, like, the, the, the source material that spawned it all. One completely amazing game and then two absolutely trash sequels. Yeah, it's would be one thing where I'd like to I'd like to go back and examine the roots of it myself. Cool. Um, uh, Keegan, have you played any of the Parasite Eve games or are familiar with the novels or movie? Uh, Parasite Eve is one of the series that I have unfortunately missed out on. I have bought the first two on my Vita. Okay. I've heard great things about Parasite Eve 3, but I'll <laughs> wait on that one. I heard nothing but praise for it. But yeah, this series is... <laughs> Sorry. Oh, Peter. You okay, Peter? Okay. I'm having flashbacks. <laughs> oh, my. Oh, man. I guess, Peter, I guess the third birthday was your Vietnam. <laughs> so so anyway, um, Parasite Eve, listen to the episode, play Parasite Eve 1, uh, maybe do some research into that novel in the movie, but I, I'm not even sure if they're available in English. I, I didn't do any research on it prior to this episode, but that's on me. So, But anyway, anyways, gentlemen, we have gone through this big list of adaptations that we concocted in the 30 minutes before recording. Um, I'm sure there's stuff we missed, uh, you know, great RPGs based off of non-RPGs or novels, or films, or vague works of uh, semi-fiction like Greek myth. Uh, I think we had a pretty good collection, so now we're going to move into the final phase of this episode, in which, uh, similar to the spin-offs episode from two weeks ago, each of us presents an idea of an RPG adaptation of a non-RPG property. It can be another video game, it could be a book, or a movie, or, some, or uh, a television series, anything you can think of. Um, and then the other two panelists um, like re- react and di- react and discuss and uh, you know talk about how cool a thing that could be. So um, Keegan, I'm going to pick on you. You're going to go first. Uh, give us your pitch for a hypothetical RPG adaptation. No problem. So um, for those who've listened and those who follow me on Twitter, you could probably tell that I'm a pretty big anime fan, and I specifically love Shonen, and I'm currently addicted to the anime My Hero Academy. I feel yes. (laughs) I feel that the series would lend itself very well to an RPG. You have a very large list of characters, each with differing abilities and functions that they could perform for a team. I'm kind of debating because now that we've talked about Marvel Ultimate Alliance, that's kind of in my mind. And like working well with a big, you know, superhero anime system, but something along those lines are a classic turn-based system. I feel could really work. Maybe even introducing um, character create or uh, player created characters. I mean, there's such a long list of abilities that people can have in this world. I don't think it would be impossible to allow players to customize a hero of their choosing. 
Right on. Um, and you're absolutely right. Uh, like shonen manga, which is I, I I apologize for not translating this earlier when we mentioned shonen earlier this episode. I think shonen ah. shonen means boy. Shonen manga or shonen anime re- refers to material that's whose target audience is boys. It's usually fast paced action. Uh, like I I think I consider shonen manga the equivalent of superhero comics, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and and my hero academia is rather nakedly inspired by uh, by Western comics, since uh, <laughs> it's, it's about a world of superheroes where every, where most people in the world in the world are born with a power called a quirk. It, I, I have I don't see the anime, but I have read I do keep up with the um, my hero academia and the manga, and it's very good. It, the cast is very diverse. There's a wealth of material they could draw from. Um, created characters could uh, could be possible in this setting. It, it, it's a good manga, and I support an RPG adaptation 100%. Awesome. I think that'd be a really awesome idea as well. Yeah, I haven't watched the show myself, but it's been on my short list uh, once I get through One Punch Man. <laughs> um, I'm catching up on a lot of anime I missed. <laughs> you, you know, it's sort of fun. Like, uh, Shonen Jump, um, which is probably the most popular Shonen magazine, had a really strong run in the early 2000s when sort of... One Piece, Naruto, and Bleach were all happening at the same time, but then with, mm-hmm. with but then so, and then then they had a big explosion of uh, of support when Death Note happened, which was a big sensation for about two years. But uh, they've sort of hit, they've sort of been falling off a little bit again with like all of their series, other than One Piece, aren't doing great. But recently, like My Hero Academia and to a lesser extent Black Clover, like they, I think they're making a comeback. Like there's there's good shonen out there now, and it's oh, um, yeah. it, it's more. I've not been this uh, this positive about new manga coming out like maybe ever because I because I started <laughs> reading manga because I I wanted to because I, I God this is this is gonna date me so hard but like I started reading manga online because around 2004 ish I was uh, sick of One Piece and Naruto filler and decided to go to, to go to the source directly <laughs> and then uh, <laughs> and then, and then I've been reading manga ever since but uh, yeah no My Hero Academia is real good. So, uh, Peter, give me your pitch for an RPG adaptation of some non-RPG material. Okay. Um, so my pick, um, which I, I've mentioned something similar along these lines before, would be a uh, Kirby RPG. Ah. Oh, yeah. Hit me with that yeah, pastel, pastel colors and turn-based combat. Yeah, and, and honestly, I don't think it would be much of a stretch to take the existing Mario RPG format and apply it to Kirby. And I'm saying this mainly because I also want Alpha Dream to do something else. I, I think they're very talented developers that have a really good thing going for them, but they've also developed five Mario RPGs and now two remakes of those games. And Tomato Adventure for the GBA. Yes, this is this is true. We mustn't forget about Tomato Adventure. You damn well better not forget about Tomato <laughs> oh, Adventure. Another episode of Deep Cuts with Celosi. <laughs> this is we're hitting all the, all of them today. We're gonna but, do five tomato adventure themed episodes in 2019. Believe it, I'm gonna hold you to that. Um, <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> but um, for real though, um, the, when I'm just thinking about it, the the Kirby has kind of the Kirby games already have a very charming kind of cutesy art aesthetic that way I think would be easily translatable to more of a top down 2.5D esque environment kind of like the mario rpgs and um kirby's ability kirby's main gimmick in game is uh copying the abilities of his enemies and i feel like that could be worked into an rpg combat system fairly well um like what if you like you enter a battle but instead of like the mario rpgs where you have to time button presses you um 
have to suck up enemies and um, gain their powers, and that gives you a different move set. Um, I, I just feel like there's there's some applications from a gameplay perspective that would make that fun, and uh, it's just one of those things. Where again, I'd like to see Alpha Dream uh, branch out a little bit beyond the Mario franchise. Uh, not only do, is that a, a great idea, I think, but one that you didn't go into. Um, there's a, a a you know handful of non Kirby characters in the Kirby universe that could be really interesting party members. Oh yeah, Meta Knight. Or, uh... Meta Knight. Um, Day- Meta Knight, Day to Day, Mister Frosty, Lola, Lo, La La La, Mister Shine, Mister Bright. Any of those could be cool party members or boss fights. Uh huh. Yeah. So I I could see I could see they, they just have, they already have a wealth of material to draw from. Yeah, but uh, but I mean, it goes without saying. The first boss would have to be Wispy Woods, Wispy Woods. <laughs> and the, and this probably the seventh or eighth boss would have to be Krakow, the floating lightning eyeball. And uh, and that and if as long as we're uh, spitballing, I want them to to put in a Kirby's Avalanche reference in there somewhere because that is my first exposure <laughs> to Puyo Puyo, and I love it. And please bring back the spaceship <laughs> from Kirby's Adventure because I think that's only in that game, and that's a terrible shame. That's maybe like the, not, it's one of the maybe, coolest powers in Kirby in Kirby history, but it's only in one stage in one game. It's like the it's the Tanuki suit of Kirby. <laughs> maybe have um maybe have Kirby's original design be an unlockable skin or something. Oh oh god, the weird white Kirby with red shoes. <laughs> yeah, that one. <laughs> oh man, or, or he's or he's the villain like in Epic Mickey with Oswald. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, yeah god, I like that. Yeah, uh, like um, um, God, Oswald in Epic Mickey is one of the deepest deep cuts that you could possibly make in an adaptation. Hell, Jesus! I mean, we did, we we. Hey, you know, let's go back for a second. Hey, Epic Mickey is a cool adaptation that's not quite an RPG, and maybe so is Kingdom Hearts. But let's we don't need to talk about either of those. Um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, Peter, I like your idea for a Kirby RPG a lot. That world is big and colorful and has a lot of potential. Oh yeah, super! I like it a lot, especially with OG Kirby boss fight. Yeah, I like, want Kirby Roth. Like, I've been throwing money at my microphone since you started talking about this, so. <laughs> All right. We're, we're giving thumbs up to both uh, Kirby RPG and My Hero Academia RPG. But I'm, now, guys, you might know this about me. I'm a person of diverse interests. Uh-huh. And, uh, mm-hmm. um, and one of my interests is old kung fu movies from the 70s. Go on. All right, like and uh, maybe you've maybe you've seen this movie, maybe you haven't. But one of my favorite old school kung fu movies is the Five Deadly Venoms. Oh, that's I, new to me. All right, all right, do you know this one? It's a uh, it's very old Shaw Brothers. Shaw Brothers was a studio that used a lot of the same actors and stunt guys for a lot of old kung fu movies. And this is and uh and Five Deadly Venoms is one of the best ones. But I'll give you an abridged version of the of the story. Okay. Okay. Uh, there's a dying kung fu master, and he has his final student. The students refer to themselves as brothers, so this final student is sixth brother, or brother six, right? And so he's on his deathbed talking to brother six. He said, look, I hid my entire fortune in this small town, and your five brothers, all, all, previous brothers, all know about it, and they're all going to be going for it and, and to try and get their inheritance. And each of the previous five um, students of his has a spe- is uh, has a special kung fu power based on a poisonous animal like the um like like uh like the centipede fist guys can have his hands move lightning fast and the lizard fist guy can um can walk on walls and uh and and ceilings and stuff and and scorpion fist has you know kicks that can break walls and uh and a grip that can break people's arms easily it's it's really goofy kung fu with uh with uh sort of five main characters plus this sixth main character 
and the the six, brother six goes to the small town and sort of observes the other five fighting over this inheritance and trying to find it. And um and one of the brothers, brother three, uh, his identity is unknown to the other four, to the other four because brother one and brother two know each other, and brother four and brother five know each other, but no one knows who three is. And his uh and and he's like a special plot twist, final battle kind of thing in the thing in in the movie. So anyway, I envision an RPG adaptation of Five Deadly Venoms as you are a kung fu student trying to search for his master's inheritance, and there's five other kung fu masters in the same town all searching for the same thing. And in, like, in sort of maybe a branching paths, uh, you know, um, <laughs> chaos order neutral path kind of thing, you can <laughs> choose which um, which of your previous uh, senpai, even, to pick as your master to, le- to learn his abilities and sort of d- and defeat the other masters. Is my uh-huh. is my vision for what a video? I, I want. I've wanted a Five Deadly Venoms video game or anime or anything, basically for at least a decade since I've since I saw, I saw the movie when I was in my late teens, early twenties, and I'm I'm a I'm in my early thirties. So <laughs> yeah, so it, it's it's one of my favorite old school kung fu movies that really hasn't had any any kind of adaptation, and I would love for it to have an RPG video game adaptation so does that sound remotely interesting to either of you <laughs> i i like it i think it's a really um interesting idea kind of oh there's a video game that you've talked about a lot so let's see it was a super nintendo one oh. where uh you picked one of seven characters and you encountered the other characters seven the, the, the seventh saga yep yes i'm getting a vague idea of that just from replayability of picking different masters on each story and still encountering sure, these other yeah. masters? Uh-huh. And, and I guess in this analogy, King Lemiel in Seventh Saga is kind of like the dying master in, in Five Deadly Venoms. <laughs> yeah, I like it. I think it's I like I think it's a solid cool idea. Also, I just want more Kung Fu RPGs. I'm I'm kind of picturing this weird mix of like Dragon Quest Four and uh, Yakuza. And uh it's yeah, ooh, sure. the greatest game ever made. <laughs> so uh, ooh, yeah. I like that a lot. <laughs> Like just have yeah, that sounds like it could really work. Like I mean, I can see like a maybe you maybe you have to explore and pat down people for information, or there could be side quests that are like false leads but unlock stories of their own because you'd be on the lookout mm-hmm. for tip offs, and that could be a good way to introduce side quests into the narrative and get you into like some crazy fights or whatever. And yeah, I like I think I like the sound of this a lot. Right on. Oh yeah, I agree. So uh, but anyway. It- both directed at you guys and directed at listeners. If you ever have any curiosity about old school kung fu at all from the 70s and 80s, just look up Shaw Brothers stuff like Five Deadly Venoms or 36th Chamber of Shaolin or Crippled Avengers. A lot of great stuff there. Wait, you said the name Crippled Avengers? Yeah. Um, oh, okay, hold on. Was that the one where one guy only had legs and the other guy was only a torso? No. Okay, it's, so that's a movie I need to find now. No, it's 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 three or four guys that all encounter this uh, uh, this sort of gang leader that runs a town, and in an early fight in the movie, the gang leader cripples each of them. Like one guy, one guy's blinded, and one guy, uh, one guy has um has his back, part of his back broken, and one guy has a head injury that makes him sort of. Uh, uh, that makes them sort of slow, and then a um, they're they're picked up by a kung fu master who teaches them kung fu that that lets them overcome their disabilities, and then they return to the town to beat up the gang leader. Okay, that does sound really cool. And and it, because it's Shaw Brothers, it has some of the same guys from Five Deadly Venoms in it. <laughs> so it's a uh, like like again like you, you'll if you watch old 
kung fu movies, like you'll if you watch them within one studio, like Shaw Brothers is, is maybe one of the most famous ones. You'll see a bunch of the same actors in different roles, and they're so good. Like I love old school martial arts movies, and um, but Five Deadly Venoms is probably my favorite from that era, and has one of the most co- colorful gimmicks of uh, of movies from that of you know movies of that type. So, guys, we have talked about a lot of RPGs, both real and hypothetical, in this episode. Thank you so much for joining me, and listeners, thank you for listening to us. We have a lot of exciting times ahead of us in Retro Encounter. Um, next week, we have our second Planescape Torment episode, which, Keegan, I know you will be involved in. You and, uh, you and Rob Fenner have been recording those. And, oh, yeah. um, and after that, we're doing a special Super Nintendo episode that is still in the planning stages. Um, it's kind of a sequel to the SNES Encounter episode we did like two years ago, um, but it's a little different. You'll see what that is in about uh, in about a week and a half or two weeks. And I think um, I think we announced this last week, Keegan, um, but I, I I wasn't on the uh, um, the Planescape Torment episode, so I, I don't exactly remember if it if that went that way or not, but. April is going to be the Legend of Zelda month for Retro Encounter. We are going to do four Zelda episodes in a row. I don't know if I want to talk about all the episodes yet, yet, but uh, we did do a public poll for one of them. So one of those episodes is going to be about the Legend of Zelda, the Minish Cap. And, but there's going to be four episodes in a row all about Zelda, and I'm really excited to record those. We haven't recorded any of them yet, so I don't, I don't know how they've gone yet, but uh, that's going to be a fun time talking about... Zelda with RPG fan peeps. But listeners, if you want to get in touch with us to give us feedback or suggestions or what have you, the best way to do so is email us at retro... Sorry, not the... I said the at too early. The email is retro at rpgfan.com. You can also find us on Twitter at rpgfan.com. Go to rpgfan.com and check out the message boards there, or go on Facebook and search for rpgfan. We read everything that is directed to us, so please engage with us however you prefer to. And also, you can review us on iTunes or Google Play or wherever you're getting this podcast. We love feedback. We always want feedback. Please feed us back. So, uh, starting with you, Peter, um, what's the best way for listeners to get in touch with you? All right. Well, uh, listeners, if you want to get in touch with me, um, I'm, I have Fury on the boards. Um, that's also my Twitter handle. Um, you can also reach out to me, um, Peter T at RPGFan.com, with any news inquiries or questions about the podcast or what have you. All right, Keegan, your turn. Same question. All right. Um, if you guys are looking for me on the RPG Fan Forums, I'm Fozzie Bear over there. But really, the best way to get in contact with me, to give me, you know, critiques or praise or what have you, is I'm very active on Twitter, and my handle is Kaylee Brand over there. I'm still playing through the Danganronpa series in my free time, so I'm tweeting a lot about that. And you should listen to our three Danganronpa episodes as you uh, get to the appropriate parts in those games. Oh, that's right. I forgot. We have a... Um, Danganronpa two episode, don't we? I need to go back and look for that. Yeah, there is a there are um, there's Danganronpa one, which is split into two episodes. Uh, Peter, you, Alana, and I were on those, and oh, yeah? uh, and also a standalone Danganronpa two episodes with the same cast. But uh, those were all really fun to record. So, um, listeners, I su- and Keegan, I suggest you I suggest <laughs> that you check those out. Uh, and but before I go into my own things, I forgot to mention something. Uh, we do have streaming on the RPG fan Twitch p- uh, page. Basically every evening, going by North American time, with uh, a, a team of four or five regular streamers and a couple other uh, ir- less regular streamers. Basically every week, every night of the week, there's something streaming on that page. So, but if you check out RPG fans main page or Facebook page or Twitter, you'll see 
what's going on and what's being streamed at any time. Uh, I know Caitlin recently finished an Okami stream. Scott is playing through a bunch of Tales of games. Kyle is playing through Secret of Mana with his wife on on his on his day of the week, which I think is Friday. But um, but check out one of those RPG fan sources to find out what's being streamed when. Also, there is an RPG fan Discord. It's just called RPG Fan. You can find it on the main RPGFan.com page to get your uh, to get an invitation and get in. It's uh, th- there's so much just a discussion going on in there. I po- it is impossible for me to follow all of it, but um, there is a lot of cool discussion going on there. That's probably more active than the forums these days. So uh, please check that out if you enjoy Discord. But if you want to reach me specifically, the best way to do so is probably via Twitter. I am at the Real Monsoon, and also at Evoker for Dogs when I want to pop off about Japanese superheroes mostly. <laughs> and uh, I'm also Monsoon on the forums and uh, Monsoon Mike on Discord. Let's see, man. We talked about we. This one went a little long. We talked about a lot of different things, and I got to I got to talk about kung fu movies for the first time on Retro Encounters. So that's a win win win. I support this. Do it more often. It's right on. Yes. Enlightening. I mean, we are the, we are the random channel, right? Like we are the random episodes. There is literally a different podcast with random in the title on our website, but, and we are not, and we are not that, that podcast, (laughs) but uh, I, I would be remiss to, uh, to say that we don't get random sometimes. Sure. I'll, I'll, (laughs) I, you get a pass this time, Keegan. Off topic was the word I was looking for. Random is what came out. <laughs> Listeners, thank you. Good night and good luck. Good night, everyone. Good night, folks. <laughs>